privilege to be up here. Um, I know that we often say that when we start preaching, oh, it's a privilege to be up here, but it's so true. Um, just as we were singing, as we were worshiping, we're talking about how he's worthy of a thousand hallelujahs, and he's worthy of us building our lives upon him. And I was just taken aback by how amazing he is, and just taken aback by how, like, he, the whole idea of preaching is us, is, is the flock of Jesus, the people of Jesus being matured, and that is by Jesus through us, and just the the honor that it is to be standing before you guys and have it not be me talking, but be Jesus through me. And just like that last song that we sang just about making room for him, I was just really reminded of like, what other option do I have than to make room for him? Like, what am I doing up here if I'm not making room for him? If I'm not making room for him, if the worship team isn't making room for him, then let's all go home, please. Like, I don't want to be here if we're not making room for him. I was talking to my dad last night and just saying, like, I have zero desire to get up here and just talk about stuff that I know and talk about some good ideas. I don't want to do that. <laughs> if I'm being honest with you, this, this, is, this is uncomfortable for me. This is stretching for me. But because I get to do this with Jesus and have Jesus speak through me, it is, it is the greatest privilege that I can ever possibly walk in. So today, we're going to be talking a little bit about Christ living in us and through us, and how that is how, how, how the Christian is supposed to live. I think we sang a song about like the Lord shaking up the ground of our tradition and our religion, and, and I think a lot of us even if we don't fully realize it, we aren't really living lives of Christ living through us. Like I know for me, oftentimes, like, like it happens more often than I would like to admit, I guess. I am going about my day, whether it be studying the Bible, whether it be I'm worshiping, whether I'm talking to someone, whether I'm doing whatever I'm doing, and I realize I'm going through the motions of my life. I'm doing all the things as a Christian that I know that I'm supposed to do, but am I actually living my life from a place of recognizing him within me, seeking him so that he can flow through me? And oftentimes, I would say as Christians, we're not doing that. And I think the call of the Christian is to do that and to learn how to do that more. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about how we are justified by Jesus to do that. Because in ourselves, we aren't worthy to do that. We aren't able to do that. But through what Jesus did for us, we're justified to do that. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about Christ living in us and flowing through us. So, justification. Um, justification is something that I probably thank the Lord for on a daily basis. Um, the fact that I am justified to know him and to have eternal life with him, and to walk in his presence and in his spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For he, being God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. That equation is unfair. <laughs> 
that equation doesn't make any sense. We, when we understand what sin is and why Jesus had to come, why we had to be justified, that equation is just stupidly unfair in our favor. The one thing that cut off us from Jesus was sin. And in Jewish culture, there had to be ritual sacrifices of like lambs and different animals given to basically pay for sin. But there was no communion with God. There was no, there was no ability for people to commune with God and have, have like an actual relationship with God that changed their lives. And that gave them like a purpose. And, and because of what Jesus did, Jesus, Jesus was the sacrifice. So like here's God and here's man and there is a thick layer of sin. And there's no way to get past that layer. But Jesus became sin. He became sin and he died. So sin was destroyed. That veil, that layer of separation was removed, gone, taken away. He became sin for us and died that we might be the righteousness of God in him. If we accept Jesus, we are the righteousness of God because he justified us. Nowhere in that equation does it talk about us being good or us not having sin. All of us have sin. All of us have sin, but Jesus, Jesus became sin. He became that that thick layer of sin died, took it away, and now it's God and man connected, joined as one. So that is the confidence that we can walk in for the rest of what I'm going to talk about today. That, that, that reality, if that reality, like, if that reality didn't happen, if we weren't justified, if he didn't die for us, all of this that I'm going to talk about is not true. But because what I just said is true. We get to walk in a life on earth with Jesus in us and flowing through us. That gives us spiritual, eternal life with him. And the, the, the way to walk in eternal life with him, the way to walk with his spirit within us, there's definitely many different things that we can do, but I think one huge thing is the reality of what we call quite often dying to ourselves. And that sounds like kind of a grotesque, maybe vulgar term, like dying to yourself, like why do I wanna die to myself? That seems kind of weird. But when we, when we understand the reality that before Jesus, there wasn't any life there in the first place, before Jesus, we were dead, and quite literally speaking, dead. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says that even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So when we talk about dying to self, there isn't really much to die to, like before Jesus, we didn't have a life. We didn't have a true purpose. We didn't really have an identity to actually walk in that had eternal purpose and eternal life. So that's what makes dying to self kind of 
easy because you are just giving up your dead self and accepting by faith Jesus to come live within you and give you like an actual life. And, and I think a big piece of that life looks like 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 through 15. Um, this is Paul speaking. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. And I was just kind of taken aback by that word, us. Paul's not just talking about himself. Like, many people in the church kind of consider Paul as, like, the holy guy, like, the big top dog, like, like the apostolic dude. No, he's saying us, as in, like, the church. For the love of Christ compels us. We were dead before Jesus. Now, so we get to, like, we died a self, but we're just giving off, like, the dead life and his love has come into us so the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one one being Jesus died for all then all have died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him being Jesus who died for them and rose again so this life clearly is about us denying ourselves and denying the just trash that we used to live in before Jesus and accepting an actual life in him. And Paul's talking about the love of Christ compelling us. And what I know that I've seen from a lot of people around me who don't have Jesus, people, especially young people, because I'm like in school, I'm around a lot of young people. People jump from one thing to the other. They jump from one fad to the next. They jump from one social group, one purpose. They find identity in this group of friends. They find identity in the fact that, that they're good at this. And even like grown people, I guess, find identity in the fact that they're successful, that they're rich, that they're this and that they're that. But none of those things are... Um, secure and none of those things actually bring life they will always disappoint because in the end it all amounts to nothing because in the end what are we living for there's no eternal purpose and I'm not I mean like of course it's awesome to have great friends it's awesome to be financially successful it's it's awesome to have a great career those are all good things that can actually serve the Lord but the love of Christ compelling us to live in eternal purpose. That's what I want to be living for. And, and um, so this life that we can accept by faith in Jesus gives us an eternal purpose. And it's something that we can hinge our whole lives upon. And I think I've come to this reality even more fully recently. As we trust him with our whole lives and choose to seek him with our whole lives, we can trust him because of so much of what I talked about at the beginning. He justified us to walk in this life. So there, we as Christians, we should never walk in a questioning of our security in walking in him because he justified us. That should be what our minds are set to. He made this possible for me. He made it possible for me to walk in this purpose with him, with him within me, and, and him compelling us to reach the world around us. 
And um, I think to, so we've talked about finding purpose and finding life and living for Jesus. We've even talked about living with Jesus. But I think it's an incomplete picture if we don't talk about how we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That's the fullness of this thing. Probably my favorite scripture, Galatians 2.20 verse 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's that thing of justification. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness or right standing or communion with God comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. In other words, we, we, can't, we can't strive to be in a good place with Jesus, with God. And actually, what I've come to the realization of is if we are, we're actually saying that Christ died in vain, that we don't need his grace, and that we don't need his mercy. That's what we're saying. If we try to justify ourselves and find purpose in life in what we do, whether that be living for some purpose, even trying to do works for the kingdom, even trying to do the ministry thing and, I don't know, like be on the worship team and do what I'm doing right now, preaching, all those different things, if we are saying that, that, that that's what brings us righteousness, we're saying that Christ died in vain. Um, and we can find fulfillment in all of this that realizing that the purpose, the purpose that Jesus died was so that we could know him for sure. And there's security in that he lives within us, but the reality of him flowing through us, going back to the love of Christ compelling us to reach others. The whole picture that I so often think about when you rewind the clock to Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, the whole vision that God had from the very beginning was people living in perfect communion with God. That's how it was in the Garden of Eden, but sin... Sin cut us off. Now Jesus has come into the picture and taken that away. We have to believe. We have to live by faith, as, as it says in Galatians 2.20, in Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. That's what we get to walk in, and the love of Christ compelling us gives us a purpose of bringing others into that picture. And we can all kind of walk in that reality of the whole reason that God created any of us, any of this world in the first place. So that can give us an eternal purpose and fulfillment and purpose. And just a brief testimony um, that I just wanted to share about how specifically the reality of Christ in me and kind of living my life from a place of seeking him and um, recognizing him in me and just seeking to know him and to, to live my life from a place of connection to him. Um, when I was six years old, I was diagnosed with a stuttering disorder. Um, 
And I was at a point for many, many years, like, like at least five, six years, like up until the point where I was like 12 or 13, I, I could barely like introduce myself to people. Like my parents, my grandparents can testify. Like I used to dread like meeting people, like walking up to people and saying, hi, my name is, and I would just freeze there. I couldn't get my name, Peter Nickel. Like I couldn't say my name. It was, it was horrific. <laughs> like it was very, very bad. So like talking to people was one thing. Public speaking, that's a, absolutely not. Like, like, like I used to talk to my teachers. Like I would have my parents talk to my teachers and they would just explain to them, hey, like he, like he just can't talk. Like he, like he can't, because like with stuttering, it's, it feels very strange. It's like you just can't get words out. Like it's like it's a very frustrating thing wanting to say something but not be able to, and it's completely like a brain disorder technically. But I can say there has been a noticeable difference, it, like incredible difference since around the time that I was maybe 13 or 14 years old, I got filled with Jesus's spirit. And I can't take any credit for this. Um, if you haven't noticed, I've been standing here for the past 15 or 20 minutes and talking to you guys. I wasn't able to do that until kind of recently. And when I was about 13, I got filled with his spirit and I learned, I learned the groove of, of, of seeking him spiritually. And the only thing that I cared about, um, was seeking him and living my life from a place of connection to him and allowing him to live through me. And when that's my focus, so much of stuttering is rooted in anxiety. I was focused on what will people think of me if I stutter? What will people this and that? And when my eyes were no longer focused on people and when my identity, because so much of it comes down to identity, when my identity was in Christ in me, it's like, if I stutter, okay, Christ is in me. Christ has given me a purpose. It doesn't, and that, that reality, number one, Jesus has taught me how to talk in a different way. Like, I'm, like, like so much of stuttering, I have learned, and I oftentimes, oftentimes, like on a daily basis, I oftentimes feel what that is, familiar voice of Jesus within me showing me alternative words to say. Because with stuttering, it's like, how do I explain this? It's like, you'll be talking, and I'll be able to predict, like, five or ten words ahead. Okay, this word that I want to say, it's not going to be able to come out. No way. I'm not going to be able to say it. And I have felt the Holy Spirit guide me, giving me different words to say. Um, additionally, too, that there is the peace that comes from the Lord, having a confidence in him that, number one, I, like, Getting up here today, that's one of the huge things that I'm actually grateful for about stuttering. I feel like I can't talk. I know that he can talk through me. I'm only confident in him. I'm only confident in him. And that gives me, like, I have confidence in him. I've seen what he's done in me. I've seen what he's done in my parents' life. Like, I've seen what Jesus has done in so many people's lives. I'm, I, I have no confidence in my own ability to talk, but I have confidence in him to speak through me and to give me peace as I focus on him. 
Um, so that, like, and that reality of Jesus in me, and specifically me seeking him, not seeking him to help me talk, seeking him, seeking him to know him and to live for him, that has brought me so much peace. And I think that's a testament that when we focus on him and his will and knowing him and glorifying him and giving him to others, the things in our life that we worry about, they kind of fall down to the ground because you realize he is glorious. He is king. Nothing else matters. I technically still have a diagnosable stuttering disorder, but he has brought me leaps and bounds through that, and I can't take any credit for it. So I'm so grateful to him. Um, And then just... To kind of close out, I feel like I feel like some of us in the church live a life consciously or subconsciously living ashamed that we don't know how to do what I'm talking about. That we don't know how to seek Jesus properly. Like I know that I have dealt with that sometimes. I've stressed in my own mind, Lord, I don't even know how to seek you. I don't know if I'm thinking the wrong things, if I'm doing the right. And I just really was feeling from the Lord as I was preparing, we aren't called to know how. We're called to believe and to follow. That's what we're called to do. And I was specifically feeling John 15 John chapter 15 and a few verses from that chapter. So verse 2 says, Every branch in me, being Jesus, that does not bear fruit. Bearing fruit refers to um, spiritual life, whether it be us getting closer to the Lord or the Lord working through us. God takes those branches away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, meaning he kind of makes it better. He brings it more life that it may bear more fruit. So I was really feeling an emphasis from the Lord that our job is to seek him and to believe in him and follow him. And he is the one that takes away the, maybe the mindsets or the thought processes or the things that we're doing that aren't bearing fruit. And he's the one that actually brings more life to the things that we're doing that are bearing fruit. So all we do is believe and follow. But we have to know how to follow effectively. We do have to know how to do that. And luckily, uh, skipping verse 3, going to verse 4 and verse 5, Jesus tells us exactly how to do that. You're going to hear me say the word abide several times in these verses. And the Greek definition of the word abide is to stay in a given place, state, relation, or expectancy. So we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, our job is to abide, meaning to stay, to stay continually in a position of seeking him, expecting him. If we're expecting Jesus who lives in us, imagine how much he's going to be able to reveal himself to us and work through us to the world around us. And it's all him. Our job is to abide expecting. So Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. I think the devil tries to get us to a place where we believe that we need to stop abiding and figure something out and then we can come back to Jesus. But Jesus is saying, abide in me. You're in me and I'm in you. That's your job. Abide in me. And then he says, as you do that, you will bear much fruit. That's like a promise from Jesus. As we abide in him, and once again, abide means to stay in him, acknowledging him within you and expect him to reveal himself to you and even through you to other people, you will bear fruit. So many of us want to know how to do this thing. You're never going to know how to do it. We have to abide. I don't know how to do it. I can say my dad, he's like the lead pastor of this church. He doesn't know fully how to do it. Like obviously we, we all get more spiritually mature and we all kind of get better at it. But this is, we will never get away from the simplicity of following Jesus, seeking him and expecting him. It will never, I promise you, it will never get away from that. It will never get away from that. And so that's what I have to say to you guys. I'm done talking now. (laughs) So I would like to ask everyone to stand.